Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Career Catharsis Show. I'm your host, Neha Koram. Today, I will be chatting with notable thought leader on employer branding, Nate Gudja, co-founder of Before You Apply. Today's discussion centers on how recruitment can borrow principles from sales and marketing to effectively channel the company story to candidates and improve candidate experience. Thanks so much for joining me on the Career Catharsis show, Nate. So excited to be chatting with you about employer branding. Before we dive into the topic, I'd love to hear about your background, if you want to share a bit about your career narrative. Yeah, sure. Um, Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, Gosh, my background, uh, it's a little bit uh, windy, (laughs) if we want to say that. Uh, I guess like the the high level is um, out of college, I I started off in the wine business. Um, I'm born and raised on the central coast of California, which is where I currently lived as well. Um, Big wine area, um, and so I got a, I got a killer job at a college and I did that for three or four years. Um, and then it just like, wasn't, it was, it was so much fun. And I learned a ton that I still actually put to use, but, um, I did this like 180 pivot and I got into personal finance. It was like kind of wild, um, and kind of built up a career there. Um, and then I, I think like something that is extremely relevant is like, after I left that world, um, I went through definitely some professional challenges, like ups and downs, where um, I came from a world where I made a lot of money. And before that, I made very little money. Mm. Um, and I experienced, I experienced like what that's like, like where you go from making very little money and in one month you make more than you made the entire year previous. Wow. And you can like pay off tons of debt super fast and you can suddenly afford like a really cool car and you can like do all this kinds of stuff. And then I've experienced what it's like for that to go away again. And then I've experienced what it's like for it to come back and then go away again. And, um, and I think like now when I look back, those were like really formative years and I'm really grateful that I experienced them like a little bit later in life. Like I experienced unemployment and underemployment well into my thirties. Um, I experienced what it's like to like be in a place where your ego gets kind of big because of like the financial success you've had mm-hmm. and then find yourself like working retail or working at a grocery store after that for like 10 bucks an hour. Um, and so, and I've, and because of like all these like weird experiences that I've had, um, I've been a job candidate a lot. And I've applied for a lot of jobs and um, I created, you know, like do it yourself hacks to like get interviews and things like that. But I've kind of experienced like the whole gamut of things like wonderful candidate experiences and really Mm -hmm. terrible ones. And, um, you know, like I, I, at this point in my life, like I'm in my early forties and I absolutely love what I do. And I, and I really understand the value of loving what you do. Um, but I'm also in an industry that helps impact some of those challenges that I experienced um, not even that long ago. And it's really, really fulfilling to help companies 
provide that experience for the people that, that they're trying to hire or that the people who want to work for them, rather mm-hmm. whether or not they get hired. Um, it's really, it's really kind of cool, which we can like dive into, but um, you know, like now um, I came into the company that I currently am a co-founder of. Mm-hmm. Um, I came in as, as an early employee. Um, we were a very small team at the time. And mm-hmm. I came in to like lead our sales, which then turned into me leading like our brand marketing, which then led to me eventually being a co-founder. And so I kind of came in and got to this position and I don't know, the spot in like a very unconventional way, which is like pretty fitting because my entire background is very unconventional. Um, <laughs> so that, so there we go. I know, like even that explanation, it probably leaves people scratching their heads going like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Nate has been everywhere. Been so everywhere. yeah, thanks for sharing that. Something that you talked about reminds me of a quote. So when you talked about having these periods of high success and then having these periods of, you know, essentially failure, Um, It reminds me of this quote that goes, slow success builds character and fast success builds ego. Mm. So I think something that you touched on there, it really kind of sums that up in that one sentence, because sometimes we do get blessed with a whole lot very quickly, um, but just as quickly we can lose it all. So it's it's very interesting to kind of hear your story of going through these ups and downs and uh, the opportunity to interview with so many companies, be a candidate, you know, experiencing what what the good candidate experience looks like and what sort of a bad candidate experience looks like. I mean, I'm really curious to hear uh, from your side, like what would you say has been maybe a not so great candidate experience? Yeah. Applying to all these jobs. Yeah. Um, there's a, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a number of them, but um, I, there, there's one, I'll use one as an example, but then it, it kind of like, it tells more than just, just like that one experience. It just tells like more about like behavior. So there was this one job I was, I was interviewing for. Um, I was, I was pretty psyched about it. It was, um, it was, it was a really cool tech company and and it was for a sales position. And the interview, when I got on the interview, the, the sales leader that, that was interviewing me put me on the spot and ran me through a lot of like crazy questions that were almost designed to be like gotcha questions. Mm. They, they were like, like on the spot, if this happened, what would you do? And they weren't even related to the job or the role or anything. They were just like completely caught me off guard. And like, honestly, like my mind doesn't really think that way. Um, mm-hmm. It was like, um, I forget what those kinds of questions are called, but it was like brain teasers, it, brain teasers. That's yeah. exactly what they were. He, he yeah. just gave me like a series of brain teasers. Um, and uh, I, I just was like completely stumped and I was totally embarrassed. And like, it just, it was so awkward. Like I, mm. I like, I actually couldn't get any of them right. And I felt, I felt so stupid. Um. Right. And it was just like, what the hell am I doing? And especially like if you're in a, if you're in a position, which I was at that time, where like I really needed a job, mm. and like you know my my self worth was like suffering, and we were struggling financially and all that stuff. And like the last thing you want is like come out of an interview mm-hmm. feeling like an idiot. Um, mm-hmm. And then I realized like I I I talked to some people about the experience, and they were just like, that is not you, that's them. Like mm-hmm. that that's 
but that's the way they were interviewing, you know, and, and it's not a represent representation of who you are, but it, it but it like really hurt. Um, and so sometimes like when you're in interviews and you're, you're being interviewed by people with egos, mm-hmm. they, they want to like establish themselves at, at this like level of superiority where it's like, mm-hmm. it's like demeaning. It's like, it, it's the, it's not this like human to human connection. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like superior to like underling kind of, kind of a thing. And, and I experienced that on different levels, like many times. Um, and I think like, no matter what, like people need to feel like they, they need to feel like they're worth something. Like wh- regardless, like whether if like, whether or not they're a fit isn't the point. It's about like, like we're dealing with like human beings here and, and we're dealing with humans who are like in a variety of positions, like, like in life positions, not everybody is like a passive candidate who already has a well-paying job. And like, you're trying to recruit them to come to your company. Some people like really need a frigging job and they're right. struggling. And like, we have to remember that. Um, and, and then on the flip side of that though, like I want to use like my current company as the greatest experience that I ever had. Um, mm-hmm. When I, when I interviewed with them probably three and a half years ago, they, I, I met with our, our co-founders at the time, which were a husband and wife co-founding team, which is pretty unique in itself. Um, I had never felt more connected to people that I didn't know. And I, and I'm mm-hmm. like, it was just like instant, like they understood me. They were so personable um, and relatable. And we had a series of wonderful conversations and then they ended up not hiring me. Mm-hmm. They ended up hiring somebody else. Um, and I remember the conversation, like our breakup conversation in a way where they like, they, they were like really, it, it was hard for them to tell me because I think they did want to hire me. They just knew at the time I wasn't the right fit for the, for the role. Mm-hmm. Um, but, what it, but what it did for me was um, I fell in love with them and the company so much that I just like was compelled to follow up with them naturally because I wanted to stay in touch with them. And mm-hmm. so like every couple months I would email them and just like check in and I knew they were having a baby and like stuff, you know, yeah. and, um, and for like seven or eight months, I did that just on my own. And then finally they were like, Hey, it's probably, it, it's a good thing. We didn't hire you at the time. Like we needed to figure some self stuff out ourselves, but it didn't end up working out with the person that we did hire. And like, we think now could be a good time. Like, let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like in hindsight, it worked out perfectly, but I think that's just a, a representation of like, what can actually happen when, when you do have a great experience? Like whether you compel somebody to like, want to continue to stay in touch with you and follow up, or it's like, I talk to so many people about this stuff, mm-hmm. um, like uh, on a weekly basis. And the number of stories I hear that are good or bad, there, there's a lot of them. Like we, we, we talk and we tell people about like, yeah, this one time like I interviewed and it was really crappy and they drop a brand name or they oh, say yeah. something like this, like, you know, this was like the greatest experience ever. And like, they tell a ton of people that like, Hey, you should apply there. Like that kind of stuff is like so real and it happens. And that is like, that's the brand magic or the, like the brand detriment that can happen in, mm-hmm. in a bad experience. Absolutely. I think there's a couple of things that you touched on that I think a lot of people can relate to, especially in the tech space. You have new startup founders. As you mentioned, sometimes there is an ego that is carried along in, in, you know, 
any interview process where sometimes there's a lack of empathy for the candidate that you are interviewing. So I think you kind of nailed it at the end there where you kind of talk about that brand, you know, detriment when you provide a poor candidate experience. Um, or, you know, the reverse side of that is if you provide a great candidate experience, now you have a brand champion that's going to go out there, even if they're rejected for the role, they're going to go out there and, you know, um, champion your brand and hopefully attract some of that top talent to interview with you. So with that in mind, what is your advice for talent leaders looking to attract top talent? <laughs> well, um, it's a big question. <laughs> uh, I think like if we're, if we're the space that like we play in the most as a company is usually like some level of growth stage startup. They've, you know, raised like a decent round, um, you know, whether that's like a decent A round or a B round. Um, or, or later and they're like, they're growing really fast. And like usually like the candidates that they are trying to recruit are passive candidates. Um, they're hard to hire. They're, they're people who like get hit up a lot by recruiters and usually have like a lot of opportunity extended to them. Um, I mean, there's a couple things. Like I, I'm very, the thing that I'm most passionate about in this industry is widening access to meaningful work. And I think that um, in, in tech especially, that access point is very, very narrow. Um, and as much as like companies want to talk about diversity being like, it's, it's really important to mm -hmm. us and we have all these policies and, and things like that. If you look at the way that they actually recruit, it's not that diverse. Mm. It's, it is like, we only recruit can't, like candidates who came from like these five schools or they have to have like these requirements, whatever. And when you do that, when you put like those narrow requirements on your candidate audience, it can't be diverse. So I think like there's this big disconnect between like diversity speak and the realities of the way that they recruit, which then is represented internally. And they're continually trying to figure out how do we solve this diversity problem? Well, it starts with the way that you recruit. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there is, there is a large, large pool of very smart, talented people who don't get the opportunities that they, they deserve because they didn't come from one of those five schools that everybody's trying to recruit from. Um, or maybe they don't have like the, the most linear background and mm -hmm. things like that. And I realize that there's boxes that have to be checked. There is for sure. But at the same time, if like creative talent leaders know how to go outside of their bubble and they have an eye, they have an eye for talent. Mm -hmm. um, they're just able to like find people in different geographic areas, in different like uh, education pools and things like that where they just get access to a lot more people. And at the same time, they're just doing a world of good to give people opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, because I think, I really think like in, in the tech world, there is very little overall opportunity for people. Um, and it's like, I think it's just hurting. It's, it's like hurting the entire industry. Um, so, so that's like, that's one thing, but like outside of that, there's, there's like really tactical things that you can start doing. Mm -hmm. um, I think at, if we're talking about recruiting, let's say engineers, for example, mm -hmm. um, I think employer branding itself, which is like 
how you represent yourself as an organization in the eyes or how you're represented in the eyes of a candidate um, that needs to be valued at like the CTO level. Mm -hmm. um, CTOs need to realize that like hiring is like a critical component of their role and that, um, that they need to be an active participant in putting their brand name out there to engineering audiences and over time start building up that brand because like otherwise, I mean, there, there's so many wonderful startups doing like the coolest, most innovative things who candidates just frankly don't know about because they just don't have that awareness. And so mm. recruiters are like grinding, trying to like cut through the noise and tell candidates like, hey, look at us. This is who we are. We're worth checking out. And candidates are going like, I don't know who the hell you are. You know, yeah. and so I think it starts like there. It's like very agreeable to say like it starts at the top or senior leadership needs to be bought in. Mm -hmm. But like literally that is what needs to happen because if it happens at that level, that person will rally their teams in like creative ways. And like we can talk about what those look like, but like to like start building brand. So over time, that level of awareness is there, which is like recruiter enablement. It's like the same game that marketing plays with sales. Marketing's job is to try to make sales conversations easier, faster, better, whatever, so you yeah. can get to revenue. And like, it's the same, it's the same play with employer branding, but employer branding, especially at startups, it just falls on the lap mm. of somebody on, in the talent org who is balancing 20 other things on their plate mm. and they can dedicate maybe 10% of their actual time and their brain time to figuring this stuff out because otherwise they're trying to reach massive, like audacious hiring goals. Yeah. Um, and so like we need, we need help from like function leaders at these companies who are just like, this matters. Mm -hmm. We are going to help you because it's going to make everybody's life like way easier because like mm -hmm. solving that talent problem, it's like funny to go like, or funny to hear like, we're trying to solve this talent problem, but then you look at like what is actually being done to help solve it. And it's like very little, like the same, the same behavior is just constant and mm. there isn't anything to like help change it. But if you look at sales and marketing, mm -hmm. um, especially on the marketing side, marketing's always trying to figure out like, how do we like make those conversations for our salespeople easier? Mm -hmm. That's what employer branding and that's what function leaders need to be thinking about with the people who are trying to bring them new team members. I love that. I love that. You know, there's so much to learn from sales and marketing in particular when it comes to recruitment. And a point that you touched on, especially with these early stage companies, is that recruiting often falls on the lap of someone in HR who's not a dedicated recruiter. They have, yeah. you know, many other things on their plate. So in order to really develop a solid talent strategy, especially for smaller companies, having, you know, these other stakeholders, the hiring managers really bought in to the process is huge, but curious to know what, what can recruitment do to work better when channeling some of those principles well known in sales or marketing? Yeah. Um, I think recruiters are the key. They're, they're the key to this whole thing. Um, they have, by far and away the most direct access with their with their audience they talk to their audience more than anybody else they know what their audience cares about 
they're reaching out to their audience more than anybody else. Like they are like literally like the ones who hold so much of this information. Mm -hmm. And I think that turning that stuff, the information that's sitting inside of them and turning that around into like actual assets that they can use to share with candidates that answer all the question can all the questions candidates have literally before they apply, um, goes so far into one, just changing the overall like feeling that candidates have about the brand. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'll tell you about that in a second, but also too, just like cutting through the noise because more or less, like you're getting the same thing from, if you're a candidate, you're getting the same thing from recruiters, regardless of where they come from, right? Getting like the same sort of messages, like whatever, like you're just like to the point where like you're either just like numb to it or like you just filter that stuff out. Yeah. But if you're met with information, because like, let's face it, like if I, if I'm a candidate and I have opportunities, let's just assume that I do, mm -hmm. um, there, there's things that I need to know before I'm going to commit a level of time and energy into moving forward with even having a conversation. Like just put things in front of that candidate that allow them to either check those boxes or move on. That's mm -hmm. your filter. I like, I've said it a lot, but content, like literal information in a, mm. in a uh, consumable format is your filter at the top of the funnel. And until like, if we jump back to like what I said before about like leadership, being involved in employer branding and building this brand message in the market, that isn't going to happen overnight. It can happen relatively quickly if you, if you emphasize it. When I say relatively quickly, I'm talking like 12 to 18 months, which isn't that long. But in the meantime, the other activities aren't going to stop, right? Like recruiters are still going to be reaching out to candidates. They're still going to be doing like whatever way they source uh, candidates. And so what you need to do is like help make that better. It's like sales enablement for recruiting. What can mm -hmm. you create to put in the hands of recruiters so they can start better conversations faster and easier? That's the game. But right. the thing is, is like, it's not this sexy. It's, it's, it's not like, we need to like stop overthinking this stuff at a tactical level. It's not like building out EVPs and talking like about all this, like candidates don't care. They mm -hmm. don't. The people who care about that are the companies. So they pay, they spend a ton of money to like build this stuff out because it makes them feel like they're doing this like level of brand work when like you can do that. Sure. But in the meantime, what's going to get your recruiters in the door faster? That's just like answering questions your candidates have. And who knows, who knows what those questions are? Your recruiters do. So just interview your recruiters, say, hey, what are candidates asking you over and over and over again? Put together an FAQ, put together an infograph, put together a, a one-pager based on personas, put together like four or five different assets and be like, here, recruiters, use yeah. these in your outbound messages. It's uh, it's not overly complicated, but this industry mm. tends to tends to rely on strategy because strategy is super safe. And the reason you do that is because you don't have people who think like tactical marketers running this stuff. So what you do is you fall back on what's comfortable. It's comfortable to sit in months and months of strategy and do all this brand work and do this kind of stuff to come up with like 
a careers page with some words on it and things like that. And you're not looking at like what is going to produce results Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. And that's like the biggest beef I have with the entire industry is like, we're not thinking about it at that level. And I'm not saying it's like uh, either, or it's for sure a both end, because I think Mm -hmm. like both of those are really important, but I think there's too much of one and not enough of the other one. And the ones who are getting like hosed by this are recruiters. Their jobs are not getting easier. If anything, their jobs are getting harder. Because candidates BS meters are like super high. Oh, because yeah. they're just right. And so like I, I don't know. That disconnect really frustrates me, as you can probably tell. <laughs> Especially with top talent. I love that you said that candidates BS radar is high. If you're looking to attract top talent, you're gonna have to do better than sort of that academic EVP that you plaster on a careers page. You know, it's not really storytelling. So Curious to know what kind of clients do you work with and what's a common struggle that they face when it comes to storytelling? Yeah. Um, I want to jump back like one thing before I forget it. Yeah. I've heard a number of times from engineers that they won't even entertain an opportunity unless they know the compensation. Mm, yeah. And there are like, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that most companies hide behind comp because they're, they're worried that it's going to immediately like take them out of the running. And that's actually what they should want. They like, if you have the mindset of like, how fast can I be taken out of the running? You will actually create the things and you will be transparent at the level that you need to be. Um, It's like, it's so counterintuitive, but it's like, hiding that stuff doesn't make any sense. It's, it's mm-hmm. like this idea of like, oh, if I can have a conversation with you, I'm going to sell you on my thing. But it's like, if you don't provide the level of comp that I need to like either make this mm-hmm. a worthwhile transition or support my family, like yeah. I can't even consider you to begin with. And so engineers are really at the point where they're like, hey, if you don't give me at least a couple core, like your key things, like I can't even pay attention to you, you know? And so- right. um, it's a fear, fear is guiding too much of the behavior. Um, And I think companies need to have this like level of organizational self-awareness where they own up to the fact that like, we're doing certain things because we're just afraid. Um, And like, it's weird. Like when you, when you start pulling that, like you just start like pulling back the curtain and you're just like, Hey, this is who we are. This is what we pay this is the state of our company right now, whatever it might be. I mean, geez, at startups, there's like a hundred things you could list right there. It is like refreshing. It's like, oh my God, like I know what I'm getting myself into. And maybe what I'm getting myself into is so worth it that I'm willing to take less money. Mm -hmm. I mean, we get that ourselves um, because I mean, we're still a small company. We're only at like maybe 20 employees right now, Mm -hmm. but um, we are super transparent in our job descriptions and in our interview process. And we have like, like it's humbling. And at the same time, it's like, you're surprising. Uh, like my co-founder and I were talking and we're just like, whoa, like the level of candidates and the, like the level of people that we're hiring right now are like, it's crazy. Like they shouldn't be at our company right now. I mean, there's like, you know, like there's inherent risks that come with a company this small and like with the things we're doing and stuff. And they are just so bought into what we're doing that they're willing to take less money to do it. Um, and I even told them, I said, do you think we're debunking the myth that small companies can attract like senior level talent Mm. because maybe um anyway 
What was your yeah. question? <laughs> just like, what off? <laughs> no, I love that. You know, I'm just, I'm just thinking about that poetic term, organizational self-awareness. I mm. think that is so key, right? So you talked about fear and how companies have almost a fear of being transparent about telling it like it is, right? So they're so consumed in trying to attract talent and focus on their employer branding, but they feel like they have to dress things up a certain way. When to your point, if they were just transparent about this is the way things are, this is what we can offer you. This is, you know, the compensation range, for example, you know, just so that candidates are aware of whether they're within striking distance of, you know, their cost of living or, you know, whether they're making this jump for salary reasons, which is one of the top reasons candidates move, right? It just makes things a lot easier on both sides when that information is upfront and delivered in a way that's easy to digest, right? So kudos to your company for being that transparent and to, you know, encourage that amongst other companies too. So my question originally, I think, was around storytelling. You know, oh, how yeah. can how can companies start implementing storytelling to create that transparency, create that engagement, and offer a better candidate experience? Yeah, um, it it starts it starts with really having like a deep a deep level of understanding of your audience, um, and I think like in employer branding, you kind of have two users in a way. You have your recruiters um, or your employees too, like who, whoever is like helping to amplify your message. And then you also have your candidates. Um, and I think it's really important to understand both of them like at a deep, deep level. Um, what's common, well, it's not even that common, but <laughs> it's, it's most common to do employee engagement stuff or to strive for that, right? Employee surveys, you find out what employees care about, that kind of thing, right? Um, it's less common to do that level of research um, with your recruiters, which is what I talked about earlier, which is like, if we're talking about like, what's gonna meet your candidates where they are like mentally, your recruiters are gonna hold a lot of that that knowledge. And I think like anybody leading EB should have like a regular meeting mm. where it's, where they're just like syncing with the recruiting team and going like, Hey, what are you hearing? Why are we like, why are we losing candidates? Where are they falling out of the funnel? Um, yeah. What are like, what are you spinning your wheels on right now? Like what questions are you asking a hundred times over that you just like are sick of answering? Like, that's a direct feedback loop and we'll show you the content gaps that you have. And then you can just create those things because you know, it's like, it is directly what your other audience, your other user wants. And then there's that, this third level, which rarely happens. And that's doing like real ongoing UX research with candidates on the market that you are not trying to hire. Mm. Um, and that there's um, like, we, we do this and we just use a service. There's a service called user interviews that we use. Um, so whenever we do like a large strategic project, um, we, will, we will use that service for our clients to go out and get, you know, data, qualitative data from candidates on the market. Um, and I think that's the level of like understanding that an EB leader, whoever's championing this stuff needs to be at where they're like obsessed 
with their Canada audience. And they're just like talking to them on a regular basis. Not about like, Hey, come work for us more. Like, what do you care about? Mm. And that's how you like reverse engineer everything to match that. It's just, you just have to talk to them and put in the effort to do that. Um, there's marketers who do that, who are like customer obsessed. Um, right. They're on, you know, they're on sales calls. They're like, they're, they're talking to like their buyer personas and things like that. And think about like the indirect brand recognition that comes from that. I mean, come on. It's like, it's yeah. there. It's like totally there. Like if you're, you're talking to people and you're like, Hey, what are the things you care about? I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just like want to know whatever, like that candidate is obviously going to become like very interested or attached to your brand because of just the way that you operate. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's where storytelling for me, I think begins. It's, right. it's that level of understanding. And then you tell the stories to match. Mm -hmm. It's like, there are stories that exist inside of companies that aren't being told because frankly, nobody knows how to like go find them. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but you have to like match the two up. And a lot of times like companies will like, they'll just tell the stories like either they want to tell or they think that their audience wants mm -hmm. to hear. But that's really not the case. And that's why you see like in this industry, you see so much like kind of vanilla, whatever kind of stuff that isn't like super interesting. You know, it's like, okay, great. Like, sure. You're kind of like doing the basics, but like, there's this like journalistic approach to employer branding. And the reason I say that is because like the, with our company, I think with the exception of, of me at this point, like everybody has a journalism background. Um, the original founders of the company were journalists. Um, we fell into the industry, but we take this, like this approach where it's like asking the right questions to uncover the right stories and then packaging them up in a way that we know is going to resonate with the audience. Um, and so there's a real opportunity to operate like a newsroom and to be like this like cultural journalist in a way where it's like, you're just going to go and like, you're going to find the coolest stories that you know your audience cares about at your company. And like a lot of times they're the things that we take for granted. They're like, they're the things that we overlook. Like there's like, there's uniqueness inside of inside of your company there's things you do differently but stop thinking about it like i'm gonna go i'm gonna tell this person's story think about it like i'm gonna show how we do stuff mm. you know like here's how we do like i i think early on before covid but before like when remote work was like actually controversial um <laughs> you know seriously it was yeah, uh right. because it was. Yeah. Like we're a fully remote team. We always have been. And like, I would talk about remote work on LinkedIn and it would be like met with some people going like, mm -hmm. that's crazy. Um, but so like, there's there, still a lot of backlash, you know, people are hoping like once we're vaccinated, we're back in the office. So I know it's like, yeah. 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 Um, but there's companies, there's like fully remote companies who were like telling cool stories around that. Like if you look at buffer, if you look at uh, Zapier, like companies who are built remote first, who would like talk about like, this is how we do remote work. This is how we run these kinds of meetings. Buffer, for example, is like one of the best examples where they were like one of the first who was like fully transparent about their compensation model. And they like put it out online and like, we use it actually. Like we used it early on in the way that we structure compensation. Like there's, there's a reason I use Buffer over and over and over again as one of these examples, because mm -hmm. what they did was they put how they do things out on the internet 
They just said like, this is how we do this. This is how we do that. Like whatever, you know, because they do things in a different way. And as a, whether you're a candidate, whether you're a buyer, whether you're just like somebody who admires this industry, you're just like, that's it. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, it creates buzz. Um, and uh, there's like another really cool example that if you haven't seen it, you should look it up. Um, do you know the company Loom? Loom. I have heard of Loom. Loom does like um, video video like recording they have video recording software where like if you wanted to record like let's say a demo you're like your face is in like a little like circle and you could like record it whatever it's like we use it uh room was loom was hiring for like a senior level position i can't remember the exact position they use their own software to record 200 individual videos for candidates wow that's a lot of work um and then they wrote a blog post about it. And it's the blog post mm. that is the most compelling thing. And it is why we, it's something like why we recorded 200 videos to recruit for one position. And it's just like, holy crap, are you like, that is, wow. that's employer branding genius right there. And it has nothing to do with like the stuff that is talked about most commonly in this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like, yeah, there's like a lot of ways to like think about how you operate as a company and turn those around into like really cool stories. I love that. Yeah. It's like the intersection of not just being customer obsessed, but also candidate obsessed. I feel like we're just creating new terms here, which is fun. And something you mentioned about having a journalist background and, you know, operating more like a newsroom, if you were to think about whoever's in charge of EB, right? You know, they're, they're sort of investigating. They're trying to find newsworthy stories in the company and, and they exist at the employee level, but then also talking to recruiters. I love this and empowering them with almost like a sales enablement philosophy there, or, you know, assigning them with these tools or assets that recruiters can then take to candidates, but more so looking at recruiters as the eyes and ears of the talent market, right? I think a lot of the times recruiters are undervalued for the amount of information that they hold. And what are we doing with that information? How do we capture it? How do we, you know, address it in a way that we are managing expectations with, with our top talent and making sure that we're not, you know, um, creating sort of uncertainty as well that I think can repel a lot of top candidates. Um, so you mentioned, you know, some really cool sort of case studies, but what kind of channels would you recommend for a company to start getting their employer brand out in the market if they're kind of new to this? What channels or platforms do you think are good to start off with? And should there really be a limit? Um, no, I don't think there's a limit. I think the, the place though to start would be doing a level of like persona work to mm-hmm. know like where these where candidates spend most of their time um because it it varies i mean like if you're recruiting sales talent like linkedin is an obvious choice but if you're recruiting engineers it's probably not Mm -hmm. um like engineers are like avoiding linkedin and like intentionally not updating their profiles because Mm -hmm. every time they do they get hit up by recruiters you know and so um i think you i think you have to like go I wish I could give you a clear answer, but if you go by persona and then identify a couple main channels, mm-hmm. um, one of the, one consistent channel across the board is going to be email mm-hmm. um, 
for sure. But then it's going to be, it's just going to depend on like, if it's social, maybe it's like um, meetup groups, maybe it's like, it just kind of depends, you know, I I just like there, but there's a couple things that I think are are key Mm. across the board. Um, One is realize that you can create an asset and then repurpose that asset for whatever channel you're going to use. So, um, you know, there's like, I don't know, let's just use the example of like recording a video. Mm -hmm. You record a video that can be turned into clips. You could rip the audio for a podcast. You could turn that into a blog post. Like that's just four different assets created off of like one thing. If you just take that idea, that, that mindset and apply it to like, okay, we don't have to create individual things for individual channels. We can like actually create one thing, but then make it channel specific. Then now all of a sudden you're like, you're thinking like a marketer and you're being like super efficient. Um, the other thing too is like, if the idea, the, the, the overall idea is like, is to build this brand awareness. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's where like the things that I talked about before, like become so important. This like, this look inside like your, your company, what makes you different? Why somebody would want to maybe leave their job to come to yours. Um, And I think it's really important to like, give this look inside of teams. Um, It's something I've kind of been talking about a lot Mm -hmm. recently um, because it's extremely relatable to the candidate. And so if we start thinking about like micro culture over larger organizational culture, mm-hmm. there's like core things that make your organization who you are, but there's also really important things that make your teams who they are. And, you know, that's a combination of like leadership mindset, unique problems you're solving, even things like tools that you use, why you use those tools. Um, things like that. Like there, there's a reason that engineering culture is different than sales culture, which is different mm-hmm. than like marketing culture. Like there's a reason and that, and those reasons are very special uh, and you need to embrace those and you need to tell people about that. Like, here's why our engineering team does this. And it's like, okay, got it. Like I get it. I'm an engineer. I would be part of that team. I understand where I fit, you know, that kind of a thing. It's a, uh, it's really important. And then, um, the other, the other part of it too is um, I want to make sure that I fit in. Like engineers should be writing a tech blog. Um, they should have an, like mm-hmm. an, an engineering blog. Um, I understand getting engineers to write and care enough to write is a really hard thing. <laughs> but the companies that do it have a distinct advantage mm-hmm. uh, because smart people want to hear from smart people. And I think that that is replicable across functions. I think there's an opportunity for like somebody like for, for you to have a sales blog Mm -hmm. or whatever. And then if we think about like empowering employees to have a presence online, it really is invaluable if you can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, It happened with us before, like, or like, I, we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do to do for marketing. I raised my hand and said, I think LinkedIn organic is like a really, like, mm-hmm. I believe in it. I think we should try it out. I'm passionate about the industry. What if you think if I just start posting every day about the stuff that I have going on in my head, my yeah. team was like, do it. We'll run it as an experiment. We'll see what happens, whatever. And then, so I did it. And then like 
it, it ended up like kind of taking off, you know, and like really good things happened because of it. And now, honestly, like it's not just because of me, but we don't have that hard of a time recruiting. I have a newsletter that has like a good following now and I can post in my newsletter like, Hey, we're hiring for this position and we get like more than enough qualified applicants. And like, we need to see more in-house people doing stuff like that mm-hmm. because it touches all aspects of the business, but the level of influence that it can have is like pretty wild, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think what I'm hearing is the opportunity to, you know, take away sort of that brand ambassador, you know, label. And it's more so being an influencer, being a champion, you know, of the work you do and connecting with audiences that, you know, would want to work for your team or work directly with you. And I think for a lot of employees listening right now that might, you know, hiring managers in particular that might need to, um, have some smart people join their team. I think there's a lot of opportunity for them to step out with their thoughts or, you know, step out with how, how is it that you lead your team? How is it that you want to, you know, um, make an impact? And this is not something that's just going to benefit you on your current team that you're hiring for, but wherever you go, whatever company, um, maybe something that leaders and, you know, in particular, those that hire teams might want to start considering. Yeah. I think you nailed it. It's not, it's not brand ambassadors. It's like, it's actual influencers. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's what it is. Um, it's like sharing unique thoughts, opinions, and perspectives on your industry or like tangentially related topics too. Like obviously mm-hmm. like the stuff I post about is like not always employer branding. Sometimes it's about whatever, but, um, but that's like, that's what it is. And you actually don't need that many of them, uh, depending on the size of your company. It could just be one, but, um, but it happens. Um, I use Dave Gerhardt as like the best example of oh, this. Yeah. I mean, he, in my mind, when he was at drift, he was drift. I don't know what, I don't think, I don't even think he knows that level of influence that he had, but like they have a, you know, their co their, their founders famous, Dave cancels famous, but like, I didn't associate mm-hmm. drift with Dave cancel i i associated with dave gerhardt and now he's at privy if you say privy dave gerhardt is is in my mind and it's like it's amazing you know it really is uh and i think like that is possible at every level um so anyway yeah i love that i think a lot of organizations are not going to have to start identifying their influencers at at that leadership level or or even you know at the ic level someone who's really got a voice who's persuasive who knows how to tell a story and and can you know captivate top talent um and get them on board behind the mission that they're working on at the company yeah and i just like want to include one thing uh i know we're like we're we're almost out of time but um it um influencer doesn't have to equal social Mm. i think i think it automatically does in our minds we go like okay what social platform would i be on and and things like that but like if you just love writing about your industry you could start a medium publication or you could start a sub stack or you could start whatever, you know, and like, and start building an audience there where you're not just like this social media exposed right. person or whatever, where you're just like, talk, I mean, you will build a following. It's mm-hmm. uh, even if you're talking about like one specific thing and an engineering function and you're just like going like super deep, well, people who care about that will, will find it. And like places like Substack and medium make it findable. 
Absolutely. Or even, you know, going back to what you said about having these smart people connect with other smart people through maybe just creating those assets that then recruiters can pass on, you know, to give them exposure to candidates. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to kind of shift focus to your personal career, back to your personal career. And if you want to share a highlight so far, a moment that, you know, maybe motivated you or kind of fuels your passion in what you do so far. Yeah. Um, Let's see. I, I will like, I'll give, let's see, when I came into my, my current company, mm-hmm. uh, we, there was a level of autonomy that like I thought I wanted, but when I experienced it, I wasn't comfortable with. I think um, autonomy is something that most of us probably think we want, but we haven't fully experienced what that's like, especially inside of an organizational structure. We're used to being told what to do, mm-hmm. not asked what should we do. And I came in and was immediately asked, okay, what, what should we do here? Like in this, in this area of the business, what should we do? And for me, it was like, wait, I thought I wanted that. And that took like, it took a, a couple months, if not longer for me to like, kind of like level up just personally and grow into that. But what I'm getting at is that um, my company gave me a level of autonomy and the ability to create something that like we didn't even know was something we wanted to create. It was this, what I just mentioned too, was like, they, they empowered me to like run with an idea that I had and actually like find something that like lights me up. Like it, me creating, like we can call it owned content. Really? It's all from, it's all me. Like, I don't like, it's not like I'm creating like before you apply content, I'm creating like (laughs) it's Nate stuff. Um, they, they let me run with it. When we started seeing results, they gave me budget to do more. Mm-hmm. They've invested the resources and belief and trust and whatever to where it took me from like, they hired me to do one thing. It completely changed the trajectory of my role and what we were doing as a business. Mm-hmm. And then it allowed me to develop this level of like domain expertise and passion for my industry that like, I didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. Um, to like where it's now gotten me to the point where like I'm a co-founder of the company, which like, wow. And it's all, seriously, it's all because like I was allowed to do like one th- thing. I was allowed to like execute on an idea that I had and run it as an experiment to see if it would work. And like that, like l- the entrepreneurship ability that people need to have, if they want to have it, like it needs to be granted because the things that can come out of it on a personal and professional level are like pretty amazing. Um, and so like, I look at myself today at like where I'm at and I, and you know, early on I talked about like the challenges that I've had and like all that kind of stuff. And like, I just look at where I'm at today. And like, I can honestly say that like, I'm in the best place I've ever been in professionally. It's like as cliche as it sounds, I like love, absolutely love what I do. Mm. Um, and I'm just like super fortunate. I, I like, I really, really am. And it's like, has nothing to do with money or anything like that. It's just like, I've kind of like tapped into this like lane mm-hmm. that fits my skill set, um, which like has always been like kind of hard to define de- or define. It's like, where do you yeah. put me? And like, I think we've found a place to put me at least for now. <laughs> 
I love that. Yeah, I know we, we started off this conversation with you sharing how you've sort of had, you know, your twists and turns. And really what I'm hearing now is you found alignment. So that is super exciting and, and very inspiring to hear. So I, I'm a personal fan and, you know, really excited to have chatted with you and to have learned so much on this call. And I think a lot of folks out there are going to benefit from your insights on employer branding and any final words you think we'd want to share with listeners curious about employer branding? Um, no, I think like, uh, just know that like this industry itself isn't fully defined. <laughs> I mean, and it's easy to think that like you need to be what some other company's doing. There's very few companies that have the resources of like Google or Netflix to put behind employer branding, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, and it's like 99% of the companies are, they're all in the same boat. And I think like knowing that is like, is really helpful. Like this isn't going to happen overnight and it's not designed to, but also too, like, I'll just like extend, like I do, I call them virtual coffees, but like I, I do probably 15, 10 to 15 a week. Wow. With people that I meet on LinkedIn or wherever else, you know, and I just like jam with them about employer branding stuff because this is, this is stuff that is like, it's usually talked about in a very like fuzzy or fluffy way. Mm -hmm. And I just use it as an opportunity one to like learn a ton about the people who are like actually mm -hmm. using that product employer branding. And also too, for them to just like kind of jam with me about like things they're thinking about. And like, if anybody wants to do it, I like, I'd love to do it. Um, so anybody can reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to like jump on a call with them and just like talk about this stuff. Cause it's fun. Amazing. I love that being so approachable. Thank you so much, Nate. Yeah. Really appreciate chatting with you today. Yeah. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of career catharsis on employer branding. Be sure to check out more from our guest, Nate Gudja on LinkedIn, as well as on Substack. His newsletter, Nate is Learning, speaks to empaths, nerds, recruiting professionals, and anyone interested in creating a compelling brand story. Subscribe and rate Career Catharsis to keep up with insights on workplace wellness and career transformation. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Career Catharsis podcast. It would mean the world to me if you shared this episode with somebody that you know to inspire someone to take the next step in their career. Send me your feedback at coach.neha.coram at gmail.com. Connect with me on Instagram at coach.neha or find me on LinkedIn. Simply type my name, Neha Coram, and you'll find me. Looking forward to connecting and see you next time.